Hi, I'm Josh Van Berkel. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. So, the Ten Commandments. And this morning, it's number three. You will not take the name of the Lord in vain. But I find that deeply ingrained in my inner subconscious mind that the Ten Commandments have actually become the Ten Conditions. I don't know how that arrived, but it certainly is there and forever keeps rearing its ugly head. Um, and, And you may not struggle with this, but I do. And this subtle change acts as a filter so that I end up with the confusing message that I haven't followed the rules well enough. But this, and this filters out God's love and acceptance of me. And it also turns me to focus on my failures and as well it makes me a very tough and harsh judge of what other people do. Constantly there are voices that remind me that I'm not good enough, that I haven't done enough. Now, sure, in my head I know that's not the case, but I have to constantly remind myself that God's love is absolutely, emphatically, totally, thoroughly, every day, unconditional. So whatever we talk about this morning, if in any way you start down the line of thinking, I am not good enough for God's love to come my way, please back up out of that street and find a new street to walk on, the street of grace, where despite what I've done or do, his love towards me never, ever changes. His arms are wide open to each one of us Every day, 24-7. So what was God thinking when he came up with the Ten Commandments? Well, at that time in history that God delivered these commandments to the Jewish nation, I think it's helpful to try and imagine the sort of impact that 430 years of slavery had had on this culture. I would think that it would have deeply affected their minds, the way they thought about life and things, their expectations, the personal value of each person, just to name a few. Slaves, of course, are nothing. They are totally the bottom of the pile. And it had been so long since freedom that no one alive could remember what what freedom was like. And I think that even the stories from their ancestors that were passed down to them would have lost some of the value and impact because it had just been so long. Other than these stories, they had no way of knowing what a Jewish non-slave existence looked like. In fact, in Exodus 6, when God sent this message through to Moses that I will free you from your oppression and will rescue you from your slavery in Egypt, I'll redeem you with a powerful arm and great acts of judgment, I'll claim you as my own people, I will be your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who has freed you from oppression in Egypt. I will bring you into the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and I will give you your very own possession because I am the Lord they refused to listen. 
because they had become so discouraged by the brutality of their slavery. That's a pretty heavy picture. But God persevered. And after many hassles, they're now free and in the wilderness heading to the promised land. Actually, if you think about it, the Ten Commandments were incredibly good news to these people. Like, keep one day holy. What? We actually get a day off every week. How good is that? After having worked seven days a week, seven days a week, 12 months a year, for, three, for 430 years, making bricks and being constantly at the beck and call of their masters. No thieving. What? Any Egyptian could walk into any Jewish tent or home at any time of the day or night and take what they wanted. Any item, any jewellery, any food, any child, any wife, any father, in fact, any life. Just was theirs. After being, um, after all, they were just slaves, and that's the life of a slave. You're a nobody, a nothing. Um, You can take what you like. So things like do not kill, do not steal, do not take anything of your neighbours, their wife, their children, child, was incredibly good news to these people. And the context of these commandments is really not easy for us to understand today because life here is very different. So the Ten Commandments were actually the foundation principles and values of this nation and this culture that was being rebuilt. And uh, a culture now free from slavery. And as Dan reminded us last Sunday, the first four commandments in the first tablet were about relationship with God. And the next six commandments on the other tablet are about relationship with humanity. Now, Jesus talked about this foundation concept when he was answering the question about the value of the Ten Commandments. And he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself, the entire law is based on these two commandments. But when the commandments become ten conditions, they become like walls. Walls that block out the grace of God, that block out or at least water down the amazing character of God. So in the original context, the Ten Commandments were really good news. So what was number three about? Do not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, there are three key Hebrew words here in this commandment. As I found in a book Josh suggested that I um, read called The Ten Commandments (laughs) by Shane Willard. I hope when he comes next week, he's not talking about this. Because <laughs> I've flogged it. <laughs> well, some of it. <laughs> and also, my other source, of course, was the Bible. That's a surprise. And uh, a book by Philip Yancey called Disappointment with God. So this is a collection of a whole lot of stuff. So there's the three, wo- um, <clears throat> there's the three words. One meaning 
uh, when it's translated, meaning the name of God, the other meaning to carry, and the other when translated in vain, or meaning to misuse. So let's go through them, the name. In most cultures, names have quite significant value and meaning. Uh, they might connect to the family or the family line. They might connect us to an event or about, that was about the time of the um, birth of the child, sometimes a good event, sometimes a tragedy. Uh, a name sometimes marked the change in a person's life. Like in the New Testament, uh, we find that Saul <coughs> uh, was, named, was renamed as Paul after God threw him off his donkey and interrupted his mission to destroy the followers of Jesus. We find Simon, who was who Jesus renamed as Peter. And at times, uh, uh, at times in the Bible, people were given a name that was a prophetic description of what that person would be like. Like in Genesis 3.20, Adam named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all living. In uh, Genesis 4, God, uh, Adam made love to his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, meaning granted because she said, God has granted me another child in place of Abel, who Cain killed. Esau said to his father, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he's cheated me twice. First he took my rights as, as the firstborn, and now he's stolen my blessing. And we find a child <clears throat> named Pain in the um, first Chronicles, his mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful, and that meant pain. What a great start to life. <clears throat> my, my parents selected biblical names for all my siblings, all nine of us. And I remember being told that because my older brother was named David, he was the firstborn, they um, thought that I should be named Jonathan. Well, then on second thoughts, perhaps two brothers may not always replicate the deep loving relationship that David and Jonathan enjoyed as spoken about in the Old Testament, so I ended up with John. And early on, I was told that my name meant lots about love and being loved and all the rest of it, so obviously any conflict between us was clearly my brother's fault. <laughs> not really. I thought, though, that if we were going to consider taking the Lord's name in vain, then perhaps we should know a bit about his name. God. Is that really his name? Well, actually, no. In fact, the word God has pagan origins. And God is more of a title, uh, uh, his position, his status. A bit like the difference between prime minister or Jacinda Ardern, or um, the boss, instead of Megan or Craig. And God introduced himself to Abram, that was before his name was changed to Abraham, as El Shaddai, or Almighty God. And when God first made contact with Abram, <clears throat> that's in essence what he said to him. He said, I am the God above all other gods, God Almighty. And I want to make a contract with you that if you follow my ways, I will take you to a new land and make you the father of many, many descendants and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. So when God contacted Moses in the wilderness after the exit from Egypt, this is how he explained who he was. 
in Exodus 34. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him and called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses, calling out, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger and filled with great, with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, injustice, crime and evil, rebellion and sin. And Moses immediately threw himself on the ground and worshipped. This was a totally scary situation. But it was only God introducing himself and explaining his character, for goodness sake. And in fact, most encounters with Yahweh or any celestial being that are recorded in the Bible were mostly scary. Take a look at this event as the people of Israel gathered at the base of Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. On the, mount, uh, on the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a great trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. When Moses, then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like it was smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. What an event. Can you imagine that? It's a bit like a, a massive pyrotechnic New Year's Eve display plus a storm, plus darkness, plus an earthquake, plus a volcanic eruption, all rolled into, uh, into one and an enormously loud, blaring trumpet. No, it was just God visiting the mountain to speak to his people. It's not very often that Yahweh, uh, El Shaddai, visits humans. Perhaps he doesn't want to scare us to death. And most times, the first thing God said to whoever he was meeting with was, do not be afraid. Genesis 15, <clears throat> the Lord spoke <clears throat> to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid. Uh, to Isaac, in Genesis 26, he said, the Lord appeared to him on the night of his arrival. I am the Lord, uh, I'm the God of your father Abraham. He said, do not be afraid. I will be with you and bless you. To Joshua, he said, this is my command, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid. In Judges, when um, an angel or a celestial being visited Gideon, he realized it was an angel of the Lord and he cried out, oh, sovereign God, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It's all right, the Lord said, don't be afraid, you won't die. Not this time. <clears throat> Mary, the mother of Jesus, do not be afraid the angel told her. Um, and the shepherds, an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the glory of the Lord surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid. The woman who went to um, the tomb of Jesus after his resurrection, then Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Tell my brothers to leave for Galilee and I'll see them there. Even when John, who was one of the apostles of, of Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who ate with Jesus, who talked to him. 
But when he met up with the risen Jesus on the Isle of Patmos, he fell to his feet as if he was dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. So <clears throat> to meet up with God was no ordinary, casual, or everyday kind of event. So when I hear the phrase, God told me, I shudder a bit. Really? You met up or heard from God? But over the the course of time, Yahweh further revealed more about himself. The word Yahweh has usually been translated Jehovah. And so over time, um, through the scriptures, there are further explanations of his name as our healer, our provider, Jehovah, our righteousness, our sanctification, which means to make us clean and holy, the ever-present one, so I will never leave you nor forsake you, the Lord, our peace, Jehovah, our shepherd, and so on. It seems to me that the more we know about God, the more there is to know about him. And each name can add to our understanding parts of this amazingly huge being. There's no one name or word that can explain God in ways that we can fully understand. Maybe this is what Isaiah was thinking about when he said, who is more intelligent, the potter or the clay? Should a created thing say to its creator, you didn't make me? Should a clay pot say to the potter, you just don't understand? And in the New Testament, the name of Jesus is ascribed as the name above every other name. Therefore, God elevated him to the highest place of honor and gave him the name above all other names. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow on heaven and earth and under the earth. That is an awful lot to crowd into a simple three-letter word, God. Do not take the Lord's name, this amazing name, in vain. So that's name. Now to carry. We are to carry the person and character of God as he explained it to Moses at the time of the Ten Commandments. The God of compassion and mercy, I'm slow to anger, filled with unfailing love and faithfulness, I lavish unfailing love to thousands of generations and I forgive iniquity. Iniquity. The challenge to us today, and in fact every day, is to carry the person and character of God with integrity and truth, to carry compassion, to carry mercy, to carry peace so we are slow to anger, to carry unfailing love and forgiveness and faithfulness, to carry forgiveness. This is the character and hope that rests on each one of us as followers of Jesus that we are to carry into the world that we live in every day. This is our brief. It's our mandate. It's our instruction. It's our commandment. And commandment number three is actually not about the words we use to swear and blaspheme with. It's about action. It's about what we carry into this world. 
I believe this commandment is really saying, do not carry my name in any way that disappoints or misrepresents the character and hope that rests upon you because you've taken my name. So that as follow, but rather carry my name in such a way that it displays the hope that rests upon it. What an awesome, brilliant, wonderful responsibility we have. As followers of Jesus, we are hope carriers. We are hope builders. We side with God, not on what's wrong, but on the hope of the good that can be created. The good that we can bring to our families. The good that we can bring to our schools and our universities and workplaces. The good that we can bring to our sport and community clubs. The good we can bring to our neighbourhood. No wonder it's called the good news of the gospel. And it's not the words that we say, it's the hope, it's the acts, it's the works that we do, that we carry to these people around us. Carry. And the third one, in vain. You see, to fail to carry the characteristics of this name, to fail to carry the hope of his name, to fail to act and work as God himself would act and work, is to misuse or take the name of the Lord in vain. How can we carry the name of the Lord and pay no attention to the poor? How can we carry the Lord's name and lose our temper? How can we carry the Lord's name and not forgive people? How can we carry the Lord's name and gossip and defame or drag other people down? How can we carry the Lord's name and be judgmental? How can we carry the Lord's name and bully or manipulate people into doing what we want them to do? The full meaning of this original Greek word for in vain is more, is more about the heart, more about our misuse of the Lord's name by what we do and, uh, or don't do rather than the actual words we might misuse by or swear by. It's more like anything that disappoints the hope that rests upon me, anything I do that misrepresents the nature and character of God. So really, this is what the Lord was saying in this commandment number three. You will not misuse the name of the Lord, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The bar is high, way higher than I thought. Many times I've read the Ten Commandments and I've more or less ticked them off, most of them. Nah, don't do that, or that. Nah, I haven't done that. Haven't murdered anyone this week. Haven't run off my... Hello? Haven't... Okay, you can still hear me, can you? Okay. Shout louder. <laughs> There's a line in a song, isn't it? Um, uh, uh, so the bar is way high. I've ticked them off and I go, 
I didn't do that or that. I haven't murdered anyone, nor run off with my neighbour's wife, not yet anyway. So I'm in the okay category. But no, the bar is higher than that. So high, in fact, every day I fail it. I just simply cannot live without the grace and without the love and forgiveness of God. Do I misuse the Lord's name? Yes. Every day I misrepresent his character in some way or other. Clearly, there's a huge gap between what I do, what I say, and God's character and what he is. But don't you think he knows that? He knows that. And he still loves me. Isn't that amazing? Back to foundations and walls. Yes, build the foundation. But not the walls. Rather, rip down the walls caused by seeing the, the, the commandments as conditions that I must comply with, that I must work harder to earn the acceptance of God. Rip them down and clear the rubble off the foundation so as we can truly live, not hiding in walled areas, but live out in the open of the huge expanse and canopy of God's love and grace. When I was thinking about trying to illustrate this, I replaced the walls with this ellipse. But then I removed it because there's no limit to his love and his grace. Absolutely no limit. How can that be? Such amazing grace. So what to do? Well, this morning, clear the decks and find forgiveness for all of the and allow the spirit of God to take the walls down the walls that filter out and dilute his character and his love and his great that robs us of the joy and privilege of serving Yahweh El Shaddai Jehovah almighty God our healer provider our righteousness our sanctification who's always present our peace Jehovah our shepherd and choose to follow Jesus even if it's for the very first time choose to follow him but more than that if you have done that choose him again and again every day because there's no one No one but you, Lord. That's who I want. Every day, no one but you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing grace that you have brought us into this relationship. Thank you that you have then given us Holy Spirit 
to nudge us, to move us, to show us our wrong ways, who live with us every day. Help us to see the big picture of the incredible canopy of your grace and love and choose you every day. Choose you again instead of our simple, sinful ways. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your love and your grace.